All right, here he is. Hi, David. Hi. How are you? It's good to see you. I am uh, as well as one can be good. in a global pandemic. But yeah, yeah I'm so glad that we're doing this. It's it's fun. It's just really good to actually have like a proper chat. It's things that you miss about the yeah. I agree. Meeting up and. And it's nice that we're obviously recording this um, as an audio, but we're looking at each other's faces as well on Zoom. And, you know, it's nice to have human interaction, albeit on the camera. Yeah, this is the kind of closest you get now to actually making a genuine connection. And what's really great is actually the when you think about over the last year, how our friendship has grown, even though we've not been able to kind of be like in the same room as each other. In yeah. fact, we've in uh, the, our entire friendship, we've only ever been in the same room once. Yeah, I know. And it was very I, brief. Yeah. And I just love that about like the internet and when it works out in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well that, you know, to introduce everybody to our friendship and how we know each other is through Instagram. And I can't remember who followed who first or how we saw each other, but the this is a good, great example of how the internet is amazing for building friendships and connecting with people that are like-minded. And what I love about you is how um, fearless you are with sharing content online. You know, you share your life and you're very personal with things. And I relate to a lot of that. And I guess that's how we've like slid into DMs and discussed things. And, you know, so um, yeah, the internet, thumbs up for the internet for that. Yeah. Winning. I What I love is I, I've actually, you know, as I've got older and as I've become like a little bit more mature with my relationship with the internet, I've become a little bit more picky with the people that I follow and the people that I interact with. And I've kind of created this turning point where I wanted my social media to work for me. I didn't want to be a slave to what it thought I should look at. Um, especially like even now I still like, go through my account and look at the least interacted with and go, why haven't I interacted with them? And mm-hmm. if it's something that doesn't resonate with me anymore or something that I've, I've not got anything that I kind of enjoy about that account, I will like actively either mute it or just move it out of my peripherals because nowadays we just need more of what we like rather than just more of what the world thinks we like. Yeah. And I think as well on that point that the social media has this stigma against it. And there's a lot of people that encourage you to not do this and not do that with social media. However, our industries have become so dependent on social media that we do have to look who we're engaging with and what countries or videos are hitting and all of these different things, because it's so crucial to the development of our career. Mm. So it's a, it's a really difficult one to balance with how much energy do you put into that from a business point of view? Yeah, it's, it is. I, I experience quite a shift in how you play with it when I moved into it from a business standpoint. So when I when I started coaching the man a year ago and created this account uh, that was designed to just cast the net wide and reach a new audience and show people that there is a conversation happening about men's mental health, come and join it if you like. And Mm -hmm. when I created that, I realized that they were like parallel universes. So I had this like 
turned up at my business Instagram every day and decided how I wanted to portray a message that I had to share. And then, you know, I would go back to my own personal one and I would use that for like my enjoyment and my fun. But that was still, uh, that was still a platform for like all the presenting work I did. So it was like promoting the presenting and doing the coaching. But what's happened over the last year is that they are beginning to become one. And mm-hmm. that was primarily down to my, my cancer diagnosis, uh, late last year. So mm-hmm. that's when I thought I've got a message, but actually this is a message specifically for a community that I've created in my business. Mm-hmm. So even though it's personal, it was like this real weird thing, like, where do I post it? But it yeah. wasn't even something that I, I pondered over for very long. It was immediate. It was like, okay, this is really personal. I don't know if I want to talk about it, but if I'm going to talk about it, it's going to go there. And that's what I did. Yeah. And I think as well, the, like you said before, the, our friendship has grown over the past year because of the experiences that we've had. Mm-hmm. And in a funny twist of events, you know, you were already running this company that focuses on men's health and you're diagnosed with a men's cancer. Then, mm-hmm. and I'm on the other side where I'm working in an environment with people that are disabled, have learning difficulties, complex, all of those sorts of things. And then I'm twisted and then I'm in a wheelchair now, you know? So it's, it's really strange to be in this position where you're like, oh, well, I am the target audience now. Yeah. You know? It is weird. Like it's, it's a strange situation to be in. And, and it's, it's very odd for the first thing that you talk about that goes viral on a platform mm-hmm. is about your is about something deeply personal and and like something that I'm not even entirely sure I had processed or have processed to now um of the weight of it and it it gained traction and people responded and that's that's the power of it but also mm-hmm. I now I mean that what you just said there really kind of, it just reminded me of, of where we're at right now mm-hmm. because, and it also reminded me of that book that we've, we've talked about. Um, I recommended to you, the obstacle is the way, because mm-hmm. when I discovered that book by Ryan holiday, I was like, okay, this is, this is the way in which I can communicate with a wider amount of people and share a message about my experience and it completely changed my mm-hmm. outlook on how I talk about my health, my mental health, my business, how other people can be the best versions of themselves. And also it made me go, well, actually, you've got a long way to go yourself. Yeah. So let's, let's take it back to your, your presenting days. At what point did you start to look into life coaching and when did coaching the man start? to where was the seed and where did it start to grow? Um, so the, the lines get blurred when we go far back. So I was working, my main aim uh, when I decided that presenting was something I wanted to do, uh, it was about trying to make it to London. And I thought the biggest chance I have of really grabbing hold of this profession and meeting people and engaging with others and networking and and, find, and learning the craft because I wasn't 
I wasn't in any way like egotistical that I was the best presenter. I presented on stage. I'd done entertainment stuff. I knew I had like a talent for it because people had told me, but my aim was to be a camera presenter. And I knew that they were just two completely different beasts, but I also wanted to be in an environment where, and, and the YouTuber was, was, relatively new in a sense that anybody you ever told that you wanted to be a presenter would just turn around to you and say, but should just be a YouTuber. Yeah. Like it's just that easy. So like, it was, you know, obviously now people realize that that is, that is an, an industry in itself. Um, so I just wanted to go out and I wanted to go to all these meetings. I had loads of friends from all over the world and a lot of them like were living in London or visiting London re- um uh, relatively like regularly. So I just was like, right, that's where I need to be. Um, so I moved, I managed to finally get to London, but via a nine to five job. So I fell into sales because anybody with a personality just gets hooked into a sales company <laughs> when they're younger. Cause everyone's just like, you'll be really great. And I'm like, I know, but I don't want to do it. Um, but I was very grateful because this job paid me well. It allowed me to live in London and actually it just let me kind of cut loose for a while. It allowed me the opportunity to go out and it allowed, allowed me to kind of just meet new people. And a lot of those new people, I am not ashamed to say I met through dating sites. I deliberately downloaded every dating app in the, in the world at the time. And I went with the intention of finding some people and finding friends and going out and meeting new people Mm -hmm. because every person is a gateway into a community. They know other people, they hang out with other people. And I was just, I was a lone wolf. So it's a scary place as well to move to, you know, it's because when you live there, you've lived there for a long time, it's still this grand big place, but it becomes, you realize that there's all these little tiny villages within London, but it takes you a while to understand that, you know? Yeah. And there is such thing as London loneliness. You do feel Mm -hmm. like that song. It's Michael Bublé, isn't it? You could be surrounded by a million people and feel like just alone. I remember on that note, like I remember getting to like one Saturday or it was a Sunday afternoon and I was just like, I can't just sit in my house. I need to go out. I need to do something. I came here for a reason. And I was just walking around in the hustle and bustle of like, you know, all the tourist places that once you're a resident for longer than six months, you're like, no, I'm not going there on a Sunday. Um, I just remember walking around going, oh my God, like, four people I've called today are busy. Nobody's around. I couldn't feel more alone if I tried. Mm -hmm. And you know, that is a real thing, but I had a great time and, and I really did connect with so many people, so many friends that I still have to this day, Mm -hmm. which is really great. Um, so as I was now living and working, I like a regular standard job, nine to five. Um, the company and the team that I worked with were really like welcoming of somebody who's got a talent for like making videos and presenting and being a personality. They really loved it. And I really appreciated that because I'd worked for businesses before where they just wanted you to pack up every dream you had and just put it mm-hmm. aside whilst they just manage your toilet breaks, you know, one of those. Um, yeah. And they're living their dream while you're doing all of that stuff, you know, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I managed then to kind of work my way up in this company and I was doing well and I was earning money, but I was deeply unhappy because I had finally got to London, but I was so far away from the reason why I wanted to be there that I just felt lost. And I Mm -hmm. think realizing that a lot of people I knew from 
home and other places were all kind of, well, from my perspective, seemed to have it all figured out. And which is an interesting thing. I think we all mm-hmm. look upon other people and go, you've got to figure it out. And it was a period of real deep anxiety that I went through. I was just really unhappy. I wasn't really like thriving anymore. I was just, I was, I was, I wasn't sleeping properly. I was constantly tired. I was just, I, I resorted to doing something that I'd never done before, which is like, I was like not grinding my teeth, but like I was like biting down on my, I was like experiencing all the classic signs of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and I came across this book one day and it was about coaching. Never heard of it. Honestly, had never heard of coaching before in my life. I, I knew what like a, a swimming coach was, a football coach, a, yeah. a personal training coach and stuff, but never like in the realm of like life coaching and mental health coaching um, and mindset coaching. So I, I remember reading this book and I was just like really interested as to how we could control our behavior and we were in control of that. And I thought I... I'm so capable of turning my body into this like marathon running, weightlifting thing, but I can also do that with my mind. And that was, that was quite mind blowing at the same time. Um, And I came across the bit about anxiety and I ticked every box. It was, it was honestly like a recipe that I had all the ingredients for. And Mm. I thought, "Mm, I need help. (laughs) So I reached out, got coached and I enjoyed the process. I really loved being able to move and change my mind about the way I was thinking and the behaviors that I had that, that, um, played into all of those, uh, those, that mindset. So I kind of set about using that as my get out of this job ticket. Mm -hmm. I thought I'm going to, I'm going to learn something about myself. I'm going to be a better version of myself. And I'm also going to meet a community of people that are doing the same thing. And hopefully by the end, I will, if I don't, I'll have benefited myself, but I'll be in a, in a place where I can help other people who are in my position to not feel like they are as alone as I feel right now. Um, and that's, that's kind of when I start, that's when I enrolled to be a life coach. So I, it's, it's, it reminds me of, as Oprah says, to quote Oprah, you know, she says that aha moment, you know, yeah. where you have that moment of realizing that you are completely in control of the path that you are on, yes. and regardless if you believe if that path is already set out for you or the experiences that you end up in then recreate your path it's there you know and it's a really special moment to and I've recently just experienced that with two of my friends I sent them both a book and said let's read this together and let's do this together and it was the magic by Rhonda Byrne so I sent this book to two of my friends because I'd had um a conversation with one of my friends who mentioned the secret because somebody would mentioned it to her and she was like, have you heard of it? And I was like, are you kidding? Like, of course I've heard of the secret. And then another friend in that same circle gave me some crystals um, after um, uh, a stay in hospital. And then she mentioned the secret a couple of weeks later. And I was like, right, they are like ground level secret people you know they know they barely know a a lot about it and I thought this is a perfect opportunity for me to be in an environment with people who are willing to learn and be excited about the prospect of looking deeper in it themselves and like you said you know it's finding those people finding your tribe to allow you the space 
to grow and flourish and uh, learn and constantly evolve. I think that's yeah. really, really um, special place to be. It sounds corny when you say it, like your aha moment or your, but the thing is, is that when you make something as mainstream as that and people can actually understand it and latch onto it, it is true. Like my aha moment of being able to know and be aware that you know, you control your own destiny and it, you're just this major like energy force field. And it's just where you put your energy because we all know that when we're feeling a little bit low, we're a little bit more catty. We're a little bit mm-hmm. more pudgy. We're a little bit more, oh, why are they posting about that? Why are they wearing, you know, we're a little bit like that, but it's not even what anybody is doing. It's about mm-hmm. And it was, yeah. it was me realizing that actually my outlook on life and everything that everybody was doing around me was absolutely nothing to do with what they were doing, but everything to do with how I was allowing myself to view the world. Yeah, it's, and it's how you value yourself as well. Yeah, and I had no value of myself. I had no, yeah. I, I, I spent my days working to make a company money and just completely abandoning everything that I stood for, not even looking deep enough in myself to find out what, it was that I found where my passions lie. So when coaching showed up with this big flag, this beacon of light, and was just flashing, it was just like, come over here because we're all over here doing what you want to do and you're interested in. So let's do it together. And like you said, your tribe, you, your, your vibe attra- attracts your tribe or your tribe mm-hmm. attracts your vibe. Um, and it's really great. There is power when people come together. I was listening to, I'm reading, not reading, I'm, I'm listening to The Midnight Library by uh, Matt Haig on um, Audible. Uh, and there was, a, there was a, a bit where they talk about the power of a crowd, which you will be very well aware of. Um, the power that when people come together for a common thing, like watching a person perform, a band perform, even a piece of theatre, when that comes together, like the feeling in the room, whether you're a performing or you're a participant or you're an audience member, it's electric. Mm-hmm. And that's why people get on stages because they love being able to give that to people and create communities like that. And, and in a way, I am also like finding a way to create a community of men who prioritize themselves enough to want to make themselves better. In the mm-hmm. same way that when I get on a stage, I create an atmosphere for men and women and children and, and whatever it is that I'm hosting to be able to come together for a common goal, to enjoy their evening or their day or whatever it is they're there for. And then there's the challenge of trying to portray that down the lens when you're doing it on screen. And I don't think the audience actually realize that they're coming to the show for that as well. You know, yeah. as a performer, we're all about that energy and getting that um, from from an audience, but the audience crave it as well. And I don't think a lot of people that are audience members realize that what the power of what that performance is giving them as well on so many different sensory levels as well. You know, and it's when we were talking about our finding your tribe, there's been times in my life and it sounds like when you were in that sales job that it, this was a similar position when you feel when you know that you are there because you are the energy you're the creative mind you're the one that is allowed to speak up you are the fun 
vibrant, all of those bright qualities, you are that person, but you're in an environment where you might not be enjoying what you're doing, but it's the people that you're with that are sucking the energy from you. So you are starting to slowly creep into a person that you, you are not. I wish a lot of people would have that as well. You know, if in listening to your body and understanding that people around you are affecting you, you know, yeah. and, and not helping you build as a person. But it's, it is so much about like just being able and being allowed the opportunity to just be aware of yourself. Like mm-hmm. I've realized it in so many different ways that like it, it comes across in so many different ways, even so much, so small as when you're hungry, the decisions you make when you're not really thinking because you've got this fog, because you haven't eaten, because you haven't done this, that, and the other, and how these energies that you need to build up in your body are able to help your brain make all of these decisions are, or, you know, I, I have, um, I've been a smoker. I smoked for 10 years. I was a heavy full-time smoker. Like I realized that actually that chemical I was putting in my body was actually dampening down my true potential. And I was like, this is, this is actually not even giving me joy anymore. This is actually giving me, you know, this is not, this is kind of giving me the opposite effect of what it originally used to give me when I would have a cigarette. Um, so I packed that in <laughs> and, and, that, and that was all part of the, the process of becoming the best version of myself. And I looked around and I was like, well, I don't need that. I don't need that. I was like this beat up old car. And I was like, well, this is weighing me down. This is weighing me down and just mm-hmm. kind of move towards that. And, and you talk about like this tribe and like being on stage and, and performing. I describe it within my circle of friends that there I'm, I am the main event on a theater stage and it's this real old Victorian theater in my head. And I've got an audience full of people. It's a packed house and it's packed with all the people that know me or I know. Uh, but I have this very, very, very small VIP room, VIP, the front row. And the thing is, is that I have to realize, and it, this is so true, it's so small, and it, but it's, it's a great visualization. I have to realize when I look down at the five people sat directly in front of me, that I get to choose who sits there. I get to choose who... T- gets most of my energy, who gets most of my time, who I spend most of my time with, because they're the energies that are going to give me the opportunity that I need to Mm -hmm. do more of the same. And as you go further back to theater and up into the eaves, you begin to lose people. Like, you know, you're not, you, you, you don't dislike them. You don't, you don't have anything bad about them, but you, they're not that much of an impact on your everyday life and your energy. They don't control you. And then you have the people that just didn't manage to get into the theatre. Yeah, that are waiting for tickets outside. Yeah. That's, that's, that sounds a little bit like there's a, a scientist, I can't remember his first name, but he's called Lipinski, and he's got this Lipinski method, which is based on um, the connections with different drugs. And you can have a bond between five different drugs You can only have 10 bonds between different drugs and it's the components within each five of those drugs that create this connection with the drugs. And it's 
something, as you can tell with my explanation of it, it's so far away from anything I understand science, but at the, the core of it, it's really five things. What connections do those things have with each other that can, can create something good? that helps other people. Yeah. And you can look at your life like that, you know, and put your friends in those five people and make yourself in the center and look at what they give you. And are they creating something powerful that is helping the world, that is changing the world, that is doing good, like yeah. the drug will do, you know? And I think that's a really nice way to look at it. If you're a very sort of visual person, it can help as well because you can start to create vision in your head of the, all of these people and see parts of their personality inside you and that's that's very much a lot to do with what the the law of attraction and the secret and the magic and all mm -hmm. talks about is that actually you have the power to visualize it in your head and when you visualize it and you think about it and you talk about it and you feel it and you really believe it it's actually possible. And I think like all those chemicals in one particular drug can e easily be simplified in so many different ways. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you could have like, you know, the elements like earth, wind, fire, water, and you're the other one in the, you're the one in the middle that makes up the average of all four. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a saying that is like, um, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There's just like, you are the average of all of the people you spend, the, the average, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And it's so true. And when you sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and you figure those things out, it really is true. And kind of on that, I've just pulled a book that I'm reading at the moment. It's called, um, we've got so many book recommendations and I'm going to have to put a list. Like a of all. This is like a book club now. Um, I'm reading this uh, book by Gaber Maté and he is a Canadian psychiatrist and he studies a lot in trauma, addiction, childhood trauma, and um, the body, and ADHD. And the one that I'm reading at the moment is called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction. And he talks about, when you think of addiction, you think of drug addiction, you think of heroin addicts on the street, and that's it you know, but we all have addictions. If we're going back to the start of this conversation, when we were talking about social media, that's an addiction within itself. And I highlighted something and I've actually written at the top of the page, a hundred percent in my highlighter. And it talks about, I need to talk about what drives people to take drugs and have addictions. People who feel good about themselves don't do things that endanger their body. Traumatized people feel ad uh, agitated, uh, restless, tight in the chest. You hate the way that you feel and you take drugs or have addictions on the side in order to stabilize your body. That is the desperation, the need to regulate your body and the mind to escape unbearable distress or unrest. Mm. You know, that's so, and it's such a true way of, of looking at it, but not a way that you in yourself really understand when you're going through things, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I love uh, the way that he, he writes and his topics are really something that I'm, I'm, I'm really interested as well. So um, I love I'll that you it. go through those books and highlight it because like, that's exactly what I do. And pink is my favorite color to highlight a book in. <laughs> there you go. It's just the easiest one because blue gets a bit dirty on the page <laughs> and I've got, I've, I've got post-its as well. 
post-its everywhere in books sticking out of books and i'd like to see things if you could see my desk right now it's Mm -hmm. full of stuff you know and it's easy to to pick out things (laughs) i want to talk about that point where you know we've got things that we can utilize and we can pull out and read again and look at how in light of you know the cancer diagnosis as a life coach how do you feel that you have coped with trying to tell yourself, talk yourself through this situation as well? Because mm-hmm. there will be times that you would have probably sat down and thought, right, I do this with that guy. Why am I not doing this with myself in this moment during this cancer part of my life? How have you, on reflection of all of that, put your money where your mouth is? Essentially? Yeah. See, I, I, you know, I had a conversation with my coach recently where I was having very similar, um, well, similar conversation. Um, I, I am very good at being able to help and navigate other people towards what it is that they really want to do. They really want to say what they're being and be more specific and actually just getting down to the nitty gritty and doing it. Um, the, and I, I actually just need to be a little bit more accountable, which is why I check in with all these important people like mentors and coaches, because when I get in a funk, when I get distracted, when I get like to a point where I know what I want to do, but I'm avoiding everything to do with it because I'm just afraid of taking that leap, then I need to go back to the drawing board, back to my coaching toolkit and go, okay, let's turn the magnifying glass uh, on you and what can you do uh, and with regards to the the um the cancer diagnosis i mean i surprised myself there is no way in this green earth that you could ever really prepare yourself for somebody using words like cancer chemo surgery if you've mm-hmm. never had any of those before so you can there's, there's literally no way like you go to school and you can study all the science books in the world but until somebody actually says it to you that's when the whole game changes um i am probably and have always been quite an anxious person about other people so the 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 my family and my friends in my life if i thought for one minute that one of them might not be well they might be a little bit ill especially in um the last year where covid and it was that time where i was like oh gosh like you know grandparents parents like what if they get it and you know gosh you know dad went to bed you know he had a bit of a chesty cough there is he all right what happens if he gets it like i would lose sleep over things like that Mm -hmm. Uh, and i put my hands up and say it every every day of the week when it came to that cancer diagnosis what if i if i just explain how I, how I came to find it. Um, I had spent a lot of time over the summer um, and COVID with my parents and I was in the house with them. I'd not lived with them in so long. So actually we kind of became reacquainted um, and they're pretty cool housemates. Uh, but this one night, which was very strange, it wasn't long after the world was starting to open up again. So people were going back to work and my mom is a full-time carer for my nan and my dad works nights. And on this one particular occasion, I was flying to, I was flying back to the UK the next day. And it was the 1st of September and I was in the house on my own and, and I was just very aware. I was like, oh gosh, it's been so long since I've actually been in the house without knowing that someone's coming or going or somebody will be in for the mm-hmm. night. 
so I was there and I was I was kind of preparing myself I had a little bit of time the next day I didn't have to get up early for a flight and um, I was sat down I journaled I talked at the end of every month I always like to do a little bit of a like a reflection so I mm-hmm. reflect on the month past and how it's been like from business and personal and all those kind of things and then I kind of do a little mini projection of how I would like the month to come to look um and uh, I had so many plans and uh I was lying in bed and I don't know what came over me but I must do it subconsciously and I must have been doing it subconsciously for years but I just started checking my balls and when I barely grazed my left testicle and I went oh and the instant Thing that we all do when we find something we don't like, as I said earlier on, when we when I'm getting to the point where I'm not doing what I need to do, I just retract. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, you walk away and you go, that's scary. I don't want to go there. But I made myself go there and I made myself confirm it because it's like, if you don't confirm it, then you're just going to be anxious about something that you have no idea whether it is or isn't. And I confirmed it and I and immediately my, you know, school explanation, you know, that sex ed description, biology description of what testicular cancer is, wherever I picked the information up from, it was textbook. It was a, it was a, a lump that wasn't moving. It was, you know, hard to touch and you could feel it from either side. And it was in the position where it would normally be found, which is at the back. Uh, and I'd had that epidermis-itis thing where the connections like came across and swelled up. I'd had that years before. So I knew that it wasn't that. Um, what was really odd is that I, I just had this real sense of calm come over me. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go and get that checked out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we'll find out. And I just really completely changed my, my mood. I, I changed my, my attitude. And it wasn't the attitude that I would ever have had previously for anything because I'd have myself dead in a box in any other circumstance. But this one, I managed to just attack it with this real like growth mindset. I just was like, okay, I know there's nothing I can do about that right now. It's like midnight, but tomorrow I can call a doctor and I can get an appointment and I can go. Mm -hmm. 